Well, hello everyone again. Uh, thanks for downloading this episode of the podcast. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to do something a little bit special here, just so I can keep the episodes flowing in a reasonably regular way. Uh, so in June uh, 2017, uh, Blue Yard Capital, which is based out of Berlin, held uh, an industry academic sort of day on quantum computing uh, in Munich. And they recorded everything that went on there. There were a bunch of panel discussions and a bunch of talks. Now, uh, we're really lucky here in the fact that Blue Yard has agreed um, to release the audio uh, as part of the McQuanic series. So very, very big thanks to them. Uh, and it was a great day um, for everyone who was there. So we'll do one of these every couple of weeks, basically just the panel sessions uh, that people participated in. And uh, I hope you enjoy them. So thank you. My name is Jeremy Kahn. I'm a technology reporter at Bloomberg News, and uh, it's my pleasure to moderate uh, this next panel, which is on um, getting quantum computing uh, to enterprise users. Um, you know, beyond the hype, why recent quantum developments represent a tipping point for enterprise adoption. And we've got a couple people from enterprise and a couple people from from companies that help enterprises uh, start playing around with with what they can do with quantum technology as it exists today. Uh, I'm just going to introduce everybody very quickly. Um, so to my left, I've got uh, Andrew Fersman, who is co-founder and chief executive at OneQubit, which is a firm dedicated to quantum computing software. Uh, Andrew is a founding partner of a Vancouver-based uh, venture capital firm, Minor Capital, uh, co-founder of Satellogic Nanosatellites, and uh, co-founder of CloudTel Communications as well. Um, next to him, I've got uh, Dr. Will Zhang, uh, who is a quantum computer scientist and head of quantum cloud services at Rigetti Computing, uh, which if uh, you guys may be familiar with, but it's a Silicon Valley uh, startup building quantum computers based on superconducting integrated circuits and basically kind of the full software stack to run those, those machines. Um, next to him, I have um, Dr. Jerry Chow, who's the manager of the experimental quantum computing team at IBM Research, where his focus is on multi-qubit systems working towards fault-tolerant quantum computing. Uh, next to him, I have uh, Terry Botter, uh, who is, uh, works at Airbus's central research organization. Um, he joined as head of the uh, Optronics team in 2014. And since uh, late 2016, he has coordinated all of Airbus's R&D activities on quantum technologies, uh, including those on quantum computing. Um, next to him, uh, I have uh, Dr. Thomas Strom, who is at Robert Bosch's uh, Corporate Research, uh, where he has been in charge of quantum technologies, a field he's been working on at Bosch uh, since 2013. Uh, Dr. Strom is a condensed matter theorist by training, so he knows a little bit about some of the things you can use quantum computing, computing for. Um, my first question, which I'm going to throw out to sort of all the panelists here, and we'll, just, we'll go down the line on the first one. Um, is just, you know, why, why now? I mean, wh why suddenly should you start be playing around? You know, why can you do this now? And why should enterprises be thinking about doing this now? Why not, why not two years ago and why not wait? Why not wait until, you know, you, you, you reach that quantum supremacy moment that I guess maybe hap will happen later this year, uh, as, as Google was saying in, in their presentation. Uh, Andrew, wh why now? 
I think there's two really important reasons. The, the first one is if you pay attention to what's been happening with the very early quantum computers, there have been a claim that this is what's possible with classical computers and then it's one-upped by we can do this with our quantum machine and then well now we can do this with classical and now we can do this with quantum. And I think to many of us in the field, uh, this has been sort of a back and forth that um, we've taken as a is this moment here yet? But I think that what's important to understand is that uh, many people, I think Matthias Troyer has been very vocal in this, um, really have been pointing out that this is what was the state of the art with classical computers a few years ago. And based on this competition, there have been a number of advances that have really pushed this up to here. So if you're doing some of these things on classical machines, uh, and it's more than, say, two years old, there's been this much of an improvement motivated by the study of quantum systems. And I think most people in industry don't really care about quantum. They care about performance increase, and this field has been motivating performance increases. So I, I really like that, and I think the other answer is because um, if you're waiting for the moment when a gun is existing, pointing at you in order to go out and buy body armor, that feels like a really, really bad move. You should be thinking about preparing for this so that the moment that the technology is really here, you can wield it. And so this is the right time to be starting to think about what you're going to do so you can take advantage of this machine right when it comes out. Cool. Well, is it a similar answer for you guys? Or, yeah. Well, I'll say, I'll say a couple yeah. different things maybe, uh, just so I don't repeat, but I agree with, with what you're saying. So one really big thing is going to happen and is happening right now, and it addresses the question that everybody always asks, which is the key question. It's not how does it work, it's not how do you build it, it's not which physical system, it's what are we going to do with it that's valuable for a business. And there's going to be a change in how we approach that question, and that change is going to occur when quantum computers exist, when we go from zero to one. And in particular, in these near-term applications, one of the reasons, I think really the key reason we don't have excellent answers for this is we don't have computers to work with to find those applications. These near-term applications are going to require empirical back-and-forth study working with real machines. We spent 20 years trying to develop applications on mathematical and theoretical ideas, but sometimes that doesn't work. So a good, a good example to talk about this is how machine learning is today. In machine learning, there's a lot of stuff we can't prove. There's a lot of things we can't do analytically, and it's only because we have large GPU racks that we can test things with real data and actually see that in many cases we do better than we could have imagined from some kind of analytical analysis. Quantum computing is going to allow us to start to do that as the first systems come online in the next few years. And this is going to be a total change in understanding how to use quantum computers. So you should engage now because now is the first time that you can actually do that empirical development. Cool. Jerry? Um, yeah. So. Definitely, yeah, I agree with, with what's been said so far. Um, other things that, that I'd say are really important for why now is um, that we need to build a real ecosystem of, of, of users, of people who are familiar with, with quantum computing. Um, so last year we at IBM, we launched the quantum experience. Uh, and it's a five qubit quantum processor that's been online since last May. Um, and what we learned from this project is that there's really a lot of, uh, there's an active community base out there that's really ready and able to use quantum computing. People want to actually go and uh, program their theories on our, on our system, test uh, how well it performs. In, in a year we've had um, uh, 50,000 users, 20 external academic research papers coming out of uh, a cloud-based platform uh, with just five qubits. 
Then this past year, we also upgraded to, to an API for uh, using your, your, your favorite Jupyter notebooks or an IPython notebook to, to, to make use of it even more. And we recently upgraded to 16 qubits. So this is really where we're starting to see people from the research community, uh, traditionally from quantum information uh, science, uh, being, being, meeting with other people from the developer, developer side. And we really want to continue to build up that community so that even when we get to the point of having, say, 50, 100, 500 qubits, that the software stack and how it's used is, is defined and that, that, and that it can actually be, uh, as Will said, useful to find those ap actual applications by having an infrastructure there in place. Great. Uh, Terry, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you guys decided now was the right time to start uh, at Airbus, thinking about this. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good question. So I, instead of answering why now, I'll answer why not now. Uh, you know, for us, I think we came in to, to this point in, in wanting to explore uh, quantum computing really from the high-performance computing. Um, so asking questions about uh, how well could we do on some problems, how quick could we do some problems, how much shorter could we make these problems. Um, and so in asking, you know, what, are, what is the best technology and what is the best method to tackle that, quantum computers just seem like another answer to this very large arc of solutions. Um, you know, Airbus, though, coming in, did not necessarily have knowledge in-house, so there, there needed to be a way to, to tackle this, and I guess this will maybe be something we touch on later, which is the how. Um, but so the, the why now is really more of an evolution in the thought process and sort of what, what the solutions are now. Um, and so the, to come back to the why not bit, um, you know, we're ready to explore all the technologies that can give us an edge for the different types of problems we have. So why not quantum computers, and to that extent, you know, launch into it. Great. Thomas. So actually, Bosch is already active in quantum technology since, since five years or so, but in the field of quantum sensing. And the reason is that Bosch is the largest supplier of micro-electromechanical sensors, and these sensors, they have to get better and better every year. So we think that at some point we need uh, quantum sensors, and that's why we are in this field. Being in this field, we also saw that there is this quantum computing, which provides a lot of new possibilities. And we are also in quantum uh, in, in machine learning, and uh, maybe there's some connection which could, could help up. So this is one of the points which led us to quantum computing. Great. I want to ask uh, both Thomas and, and Terry to talk a little bit more about what you actually are doing now to experiment with this. How did you go about thinking about the space? Who did you partner with? What did you start doing? And maybe also, what are some of the, the, the uses that you're trying to see if you can get a quantum speed up on? I mean, I think this is something else. People, there's lots of theoretical use cases. There's a lot of discussion about where you're going to get you know, all kinds of optimization problems. You're going to be able to, to do much better on a quantum machine. But as of today, given, given sort of what the technology that exists now, what are you actually playing around with and what are you seeing if this stuff can do? Uh, Terry, why don't you go first and then Tom's. Yeah, um, so for us, the, the how, you know, when, it, when the thought evolved to the point of, you know, let's try and explore quantum computers, for a while it was a little bit disjointed. Um, needless to say, Airbus did not necessarily have internally this, this large team to really tackle the problem. We didn't have a whole department dedicated to this. Um, and Airbus sort of took a, a, an honest look at it and said, uh, we're not trying to position ourselves as the next big producer of quantum computers, um, nor do we hope to be able to lead the development of, of protocols. So instead, let's try and take an approach where we can sit and partner with people who do have this, this knowledge. Um, the second question was, you know, what hardware? Uh, analog quantum computers, digital quantum computers. Uh, we heard also topological quantum computers now coming up. Uh, 
for us, again, the drive was always the solutions. It was always the answers that we can get. So to that extent, we, we decided, uh, and this predates me actually, uh, to invest in, in QCWare. And QCWare for us was uh, the doorway essentially to this world. Um, hardware agnostic, different solutions. And then since then, being able to explore different topics. So on the what exactly we've looked at, I think it's, it's of uh, different folds. Um, for us, maintenance is, is a big issue uh, and the timeliness of this maintenance. Um, large complex systems and how to predict some of their behavior, some of their faults uh, has also been part of what we do. Uh, and we're now, again, trying to coalesce a lot of the um, activities internally, uh, Airbus 130,000 people, to try and get these different ideas of how next to take these ideas forward is, is what we're actively doing now. Cool. How about at Bosch? What's going on? So I think for Bosch, the situation is very, very uh, similar to the situation at Airbus. We will not uh, produce quantum computer hardware. For us, also, the solution of the problem is uh, important. And we know all these potential uh, problems that are written in all the papers. I mean, optimization, machine learning, uh, material science, you name it. And uh, what we are doing now, we are trying to collect uh, potential problems in the company, real, relevant uh, problems that, that we have in the company, and we try to prioritize it uh, according to suitability uh, to be solved with a quantum computer. I think that material science and what has been uh, said uh, two hours ago or so, uh, this development of, of, of uh, battery materials or catalysts or so, I think this will be a very important uh, application. Interesting. Uh, you know, Jerry, you, you have you know, the, the uh, IBM kind of quantum experience. Are you keeping any data on sort of who is using that and what the use cases are? What kind of algorithms are they running? What sort of problems do they seem interested in? Uh, it might be interesting to find out what, because it might get a good set of, of yeah. who, what people are playing around with. Yeah, so um, as I said, we've, we've had users from all kinds of different walks of life. We have people who are um, more developers, people who are uh, quantum information scientists. Um, a lot of the results that have come out are things like uh, testing of, of new codes, uh, new quantum information codes, uh, or, new, or, or demonstrating of a toy algorithm, right? Uh, but then the other aspect of it is actually um, uh, education, and it's been adopted in a number of different universities as part of quantum computing or quantum mechanics courses. Um, we've hosted a number of, uh, we've, we've um, been part of different workshops with uh, the Institute of Quantum Computing, uh, with the NSF, to basically uh, perform outreach so that, you know, the next generation of, of, of learners, of users, are, are, are adept at understanding, you know, uh, gate model quantum computing. Yeah, Will, what are you seeing on, on, when, when you, you, know, you also allow people to sort of play around with emulators and you, you just, I guess, have some, had some announcements this week on your, on your hardware. You know, what, what are you seeing from these early adopters? What are they playing around with? Yeah, so uh, Jerry and I agree very much on how we need to have the ecosystem grow and that you need to provide some tools for this to happen. So we're, we're, we're an integrated company and you might ask, you know, if you're building hardware, why do you need to build some, some software? And we take this integrated approach because the first applications for quantum computers need to work all the way from top to bottom. That's why we're going to get there first. So earlier this week, we announced that we've built the world's first quantum integrated circuit fab fabrication <laughs> facility for making these chips ourselves, which increases the rate at which we can improve our hardware. And that's linked all the way up to the stack to a software programming environment called Forest. Uh, it's called Forest for an ecosystem reason. Right? And these, these computers really use nature to do something and in its best way and to solve meaningful problems. And so that, that's why we've called the platform Forest, and it allows you to run quantum circuits, to pick up some Python. Uh, but I want to mention that there's one in particular layer that people don't talk about too much. It's not just, okay, you have a chip and some hardware, and that's a bottom-up de development. 
and you have some software and, and applications that businesses have and you do top-down development. The most important stuff, and this might be a controversial statement, is in the middle. Because these are going to miss if we don't have really great tooling, which is what we've tried to develop with the forest programming environment, that goes all the way down to understanding the physics. Uh, I, can sp I, I have this perspective because this is my background. I've, I've worked on everything from superconducting qubits all the way up to algorithms and theory and built the software from top to bottom. And I think a lot of people underestimate how big and important the middle of this ecosystem is. Interesting. Andrew, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, the use cases you're seeing um, from your customers and, and also, you know, are they, are they only doing stuff, you know, uh, on D-Wave machines, which exists now, and I know you guys have a, have a good partnership with, with the guys at D-Wave, although your company is sort of software, uh, you know, hardware agnostic, rather. Um, or are they starting to play around with emulators for, for uh, gate machines and, and other uses? Yeah, so I mean, uh, we have a great relationship with D-Wave. We uh, love people who are building hardware, so thank you. Bring us your hardware. This is going to be really important as a software company to have computers to run this on. Um, so I, I think that we are probably um, platform agnostic in the widest possible sense in that uh, I'm here to make some friends and probably also make some enemies, but we, we believe in... Um, annealing as an interesting paradigm and as a valid paradigm of quantum information science. We love the idea of learning what we've learned from seeing these annealers and trying to build digital annealers and seeing uh, if we can do bake-offs and, and really let the results speak for themselves. I love the idea of playing with some of these early quantum circuits. Um, we've been hearing some amazing things from uh, Google and Microsoft and IBM and, and a number of other organizations around the world. Um, but all that aside, we're taking a totally different approach with uh, our partners, uh, especially our, um, our end user partners, which is to say, let's go and find one of the world's largest finance companies. Let's go find one of the world's largest advanced materials companies. We just had a public announcement that we're working with Dow on this multi-year engagement that came out yesterday. Um, the goal for us is to say, let's go find the problems, and then we have a, an instinct that those problems will be solved well by quantum computers, but we're gonna let the problems guide us to the quantum computers as opposed to finding you know, a, a nail and then going looking for a hammer, or wait, the other way around? Right. But the, you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about wh what's sort of holding back wider adoption and uh, maybe you guys all have some thoughts on this. Andrew, you said it's just, you know, there's not enough hardware out there yet. Maybe one of the issues. Um, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about more some of the, you know, when you talk to customers and they're reluctant to, to do something, why is that? And why, why are people maybe hesitant to get involved in this? Yeah, so I think um, people aren't reluctant to get involved. This, this room is full. But what I would say is that... Um, the adoption comes from the fact that if you're one of these large companies, maybe you need some people to go in and give you a hand. I think we're one of the largest software companies focused on quantum computers. We're certainly the first or one of the first. Um, we're only 50 people. We can't go and partner with like 150 different companies and help them through. So one of our partnerships is actually with Accenture, who's in the room here, and they've lined up all of those use cases and we're partnering with them in order to be able to address exactly this kind of bottleneck because there are tons and tons of companies out there who are going to either benefit or really not benefit from the development of quantum computers and we want to make sure that we can bring the types of expertise and the understanding and the knowledge and the preparation to all of them and we're looking to partner with other groups that can really be multipliers of the types of work that we're doing. 
Right. Well, you talked a little bit about software being a potential issue. What, I mean, what needs to happen from a software standpoint in order to, to drive adoption? That's, I, I could give a whole <laughs> two-hour-long lecture. It's one of those questions where when you've thought about something for so long, you need to distill it. Um, I think what I'll say is uh, Alan talked about uh, there needs to be quantum developers. Uh, I stood up immediately, and it took a while for a few other people to stand up. Uh, the real issue is who. Who's going to do this stuff? Uh, and, and in the near term, it still needs to be people who can work very much at the, at the low level. So I think when people look towards developing applications for near-term quantum computers, which is, I, I think, the biggest, no, knowing these is, I think, the biggest blocker towards more adoption, um, you need to have both the problems go all the way to, and the hardware. And, and people need to have transparency from top to bottom to really make that stack work together. And sometimes you see software developed that's very modular. There's a tendency to want to modularize. But I think the very first applications are going to need to go from top to bottom. And, that, and that's a big challenge. You know, they, they, if you look at the software stack for your, your iPhone or your CPU, it's got you know, hundreds of layers that no one person understands all of. Uh, and where we are in quantum computing right now is we need to invent that whole stack and sort of convince some of the physicists on the hardware side that their experimental code isn't that stack. Right. Uh, Jerry, what do you, you know, from your perspective, what do you think it's going to take to get this into the mainstream or? Yeah, so I, I, I think that, uh, well, with regards to the adoption and, and really thinking about uh, how do we get, how do we make our, our, our devices more useful, um, it's, in the end, it's still making sure that we have the best quality of devices and that the software stack is in place to support it. Um, that middle ground that Will sp spoke about, or where you're below the, you're kind of in this quantum intermediate representation, uh, there's all kinds of things that, you're, that, that we need to f figure out how much do you expose to uh, users out there to, to know about the pulse shape or the timing. Uh, and so there's things that are hardware relevant that, that uh, people in the lab and, and who will run experiments understand, but how, how many people out there, how many, how many of the quantum developers need to know, and how much of that needs to be uh, unlocked in order to, to, to drive further um, uh, explorations and further development? And is it, that's still sort of an open question about how much of that needs to be unlocked, or do you think you know, the answer is not, from other fields of computer science, the answer is as little as possible so that, so that people can sort of just program on the top layer and not worry about what's actually going on below? Yeah, I mean, the thing there is, like, you, 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 there's always the risk of unlocking too much. And uh, you, what you want to be able to do is make something that's, that's, that's usable and adoptable and widely and, and understandable, right? It's, it's uh, uh, like thinking about the, the, all, all, the, all the features that you need in an iPhone, for example. Right. And we've both taken a stab at this. It's not like we, these are totally open. We both have intermediate representations, these kind of quantum assembly things that are open that people can develop on. These are drafts. It's, we're not sitting here saying, like, we don't know how to get started. Right. But, but it, it is something that needs to be focused on. Right. I wanted to ask uh, Terry and Thomas just how you get kind of buy-in from your management teams to go out and start experimenting with this stuff. And then how do you plan, assuming you can get some good results, to get them to invest further in it? Um, you know, because I think often for, for people who maybe aren't focused on this area, um, and in some organizations, you know, they might not, you know, if you went out and said, I want to invest in quantum computing, they might look at you like you said, I want to invest in a TARDIS or something. I mean, it's, it might, you might get that kind of reaction. But Thomas, what, what, you had a good answer when we were talking before on this. I, I think my management has a very positive attitude towards quantum computers. But still, that does not mean that they are just pouring money into this field. So the most important thing is to come up with a list of real-world problems and 
at least some indications that a quantum computer could help us in solving this problem. And once this is done, the management really will pour money into, into this field. Terry? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, uh, the, you know, for Airbus, the ma management there also has the right mindset. Uh, you know, investment was made early on, and there's certainly a willingness to see where this can go. Uh, but I think, as, as Thomas just said, you know, the need for showing, demonstrating some, some real benefit is going to be the key marker. And ultimately, what they want to see is, is not so much, um, you know, how much more money do you need, but really, what is the one difference? Can you show me one area where you've made a real-world impact uh, using this quantum system? And can you then show me, uh, if I extrapolate this forward in time, you know, what kind of, a, what kind of an improvement can I expect in, say, a, a medium term, the five to seven year mark from that? Right. I want to I take questions from the audience um, before we run out of time. So, um, questions from the audience. Yes, this gentleman here. His hand up fast. Yes, thank you. Um, so this is a question mostly for Thierry and Thomas. Um, and it's also something you alluded to, uh, Will, a couple of times with Forrest and everything else, which is the question of a quantum operating system. So the idea that everybody who might not speak or be able to understand quantum can still code quantum. Would that be something that you would be willing to adopt, that you're anticipating? Or do you say, well, there's so much consulting out there, we just outsource everything. Uh, what would be your initial ideas, maybe they change in the future? I just want to hear your take on this. So if I understood your question, it's really about strategy and, and what kind of direction Airbus in this case takes uh, in terms of strategy. Um, to be honest with you, I think it's a, maybe a little bit too early to say. I think, again, the key marker for us is to try and ascertain what areas and where, where are the difference makers. What are the areas we're going to see a clear benefit coming from quantum computers? And once we've assessed that, once we've seen that, uh, I think the metric of that, the, the importance of that, will exactly bleed into that decision. Do we then bring things in-house? Do we, do we develop a team? Do we develop a, a, a whole department? Or do we still kind of operate um, via an external company? I think we will develop things uh, in-house. Uh, and we already started a little bit with this because, I mean, we have a lot of uh, computer scientists and some of them, they have difficult uh, problems. Uh, and now they have to tell us which problems could possibly be solved with a quantum computer. And for this reason, uh, uh, they need a little bit idea about quantum computing. And we started uh, by educating computer scientists uh, in the company. I just want to, to quickly also add that one of the things that's so great about getting involved now is that the scale of these companies is so big and the potential for quantum computing is so great, but a big check right now to get involved in this stuff, if people are investing in like the $5 million or $10 million range, that's huge for companies like ours. So the uh, ratio of potential benefit to cost to get your fingers in the pie right now, I think is something that's pretty easy for people to get their heads around at this scale. Interesting. Other questions? Anybody else got a question? Yep, there's a gentleman there. Uh, Will, just, are you going to open source your stuff, man? Oh, great question. Our client libraries are all open source. Apache 2, Python, we've got more stuff. Please make pull requests. I think it's super important to have that available so that companies that adopt it can really see the guts of it. The best way to learn is to see how it works and, and play with it. Cool. Other questions? Up oh, there's someone there. So maybe for, for all of you, what do you think will be the one problem where uh, a person who wants to solve 
a certain question will first go to a quantum computer to solve it rather than going to a classical computer to do the same task. So what will the problem be and when will it happen for yeah, all of you? Say like one word answer. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we just go down the line? Start, start with Andrew. A catalyst design and soon. Will? <laughs> catalyst. Yeah, I mean, chemistry. Terry? I think taking an Airbus perspective, I would expect that answer uh, to be really on hybrid solutions, some type of overlap between classical means and, and quantum computing. Sincerely, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> a little follow-up question there is, have you talked to a chemist about uh, how they feel about this question? I just, well, Will, yes, okay. and we've hired some, and we'll hire more, and, and we'll work with more. One, one of the, actually, one of the reasons I'm uh, able to say that I think it's going to be catalysts is that the uh, quantum chemistry community, the classical computational qu uh, quantum chemistry community has started to get excited about quantum computing. And there are experts in that field that are now doing research in the application side uh, who, who are really, you know, top of that field is starting to get interested. And that's a really, really good indicator, both that there's some potential, but also that there's resources that we can draw on in the domain. Jerry? Yeah, I mean, with, with chemistry, really, I think there's just been so there's been a lot of uh, both experimental and theoretical work uh, in, in, in the past few years. Uh, we recently were able to show the, the uh, ground state energy of lithium hydride and beryllium hydride. Um, but then also you start seeing where the experiment fails and what's wrong, right? You, you realize that you need uh, things like error mitigation. And uh, so how do we actually uh, build all these things in? How do we, how do we develop better theories and, and apply some of the concepts of error correction and fault tolerance in a way that's useful for these short depth algorithms? There's a lot of people starting to think about that. Some of the brightest minds you know, who traditionally think about uh, you know, error correcting codes are now thinking about this and that's really excited, exciting for, for, for the field of uh, trying quantum chemistry on, on our quantum processors. And we shouldn't be arrogant about you know, quantum computational quantum chemistry. We're not going to just come out with a small quantum computer and totally obviate everything that's happened in that field. But that's where I think we'll start to make impact the first. Cool. I think we have time maybe for one last question, if anybody from the audience has another last one. I've got one. Oh, oh Jason. I can defer to Jason if he's got a question. I, I can ask the panelists later. Jason, go ahead. Um, I'm just wondering, um, and, and it's going to be possibly difficult for you to answer, uh, some of you to answer, about the sort of proliferation of uh, software platforms, of hardware platforms, of this kind of, you know, letting at least a couple of dozen flowers bloom, if not a thousand anymore, you know. Um, at what point uh, the, the field is going to kind of have to start narrowing these things down? At what point when, you know, the, the interest is sufficiently high that you have to kind of like corral things into one approach and kind of muck in with, uh, with one hardware or software platform? Uh, yeah, Jerry, if you have a... Uh, um, well, so for, for, for our, um, our software stack, we, we, we've really worked to try to define various different layers so that at, at some point you can also, you can, we can support multiple backends, be it different type of, uh, different simulators, different sets of superconducting qubits, different arrangements of superconducting qubits, or even uh, other types of qubit systems. And, uh, and then on, on top of that, that's where everything is more open source, and I'd say that there's a lot of room for, for that to kind of morph and see what are the best of all the different options out there and become something that eventually is more of a standard used throughout the community. We're, we're yeah. doing the same thing, same kind of layers. We can, our, our two systems can play, can play together. Uh, you're in a prototyping phase. 
for the, each of these layers. We're not ready to standardize. I think we're several years away from standardizing. I think you cannot standardize until you have an application to target the standards towards. So we need to first find those applications so we can evaluate whether the standards are good or not. Andrew? I was just going to say, uh, it's a question like how much money is too much money. I don't know, but that's not my problem. <laughs> I, I was curious, I'm, I'm curious just for Terry and Thomas, is there a concern that you know, you will kind of get too far down the road with a vendor that then does not end up being the kind of winner of this race? Um, I, you know, again, I think for us, we're coming in and we're, we're really trying to understand what are the benefits for us. I, I think in our case, we really wanted to take kind of an aerial view of it. We didn't want to get bogged down in any one hardware solution. Um, we have to, of course, not that, that all the knowledge doesn't lay inside the Airbus, so we have to, you know, trust and, and build relationships with uh, external people who are able to talk to these top layers uh, of, of existing hardwares and, and be able to, to address these problems. But I think ultimately for us, it's not so much the, the wild field of possibilities and potential solutions, but really capturing the one or two that are going to make a difference for us. Thomas. So basically, I have nothing to add to, to uh, what Thierry said. So we are focusing on the problems and not on the quantum hardware, and this is uh, why this is not a problem for us in the moment. Great. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. You've been a wonderful panel.